The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Japan Breakdown. Picks, plays, whatever else comes our way. Let's get it. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. This is our 50th episode. Maybe not a grand anniversary-worthy type thing, but but pretty cool to me, and big thanks to you guys for listening. Um, although I, I probably would be rambling in some sort or another. Um, I don't know if I'd be like, you know, to, to 50 official and, and moving onward. Hopefully, knock on wood. Thanks to you guys, so really appreciate that as I stab myself with a pen. Uh, we kick things off the right way here. Um, yeah, so we're going to just essentially have a few notes off the top. We'll get into a quick just overview, nothing too crazy about UFC Pittsburgh. Uh, some shouts, some current you know events, not really current events, but yeah, we'll ju- be uh, jumping right in. This will be pretty much just uh, UFC uh, Japan breakdown, so sticking to the service, the service plan, the breakdown at hand. In just one moment, but yeah, UFC Pittsburgh happened over the weekend. Um, it was pretty entertaining. Like usually, it's been like Dog City in the prelims lately. I went like 0-4. Uh, I like that's the first time I think I've like uh, went winless in the prelims or had like an 0-4 start or 0-3 start even. Um, probably since doing this since 2015, so that was pretty crazy. But made up for it, and uh, you know went perfect on the um, the main card and. That's the only standard parlay. I mean, you know, of course I do, you know, the parlay pieces or I'll tell you, you know, right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast what I'll play. But one of the standard ones I always do is just, uh, uh, you know, uh, five, you know, depending on how confident, maybe sometimes, you know, or if it's like, you know, a four fight card or something like that, maybe a little more. But, you know, I, you know, you know, Danny, Dan, Tom bets like an eight year old. But yeah, I always, put, I always put like a standard bet. So I'll put like five bucks on my main card picks. Um, I used to like do one with a whole card in the prelim and I just, I stopped doing that. I just, you, you obviously, you know, there, there's having fun, but even if you're only like, throwing a dollar on it, get a little too degenerate, even for me. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't get too crazy with that kind of stuff, but yeah, as far as like suit, not superstitious standard, maybe a better word of it, bets that, that that's one you can count on Dan Tom doing. And of course, you know, everything else that uh, I recommend. Again, although not on an official list, y'all are getting it right here on the Protect Neck podcast. Uh, makes things a little cleaner anyways. Keep it all, keep it all, uh, you know, keep, keep keep it all privy to what we're talking about here. But we kind of talk about everything and anything, so, you know, scratch that. But yeah, we went 6-4 uh, and four total UFC Pittsburgh. Um, they didn't do good in the straight plays because like, I think they did like, you know, dog plays like Tony Martin who didn't. Who didn't uh, come through, and then who else? Uh, oh boy, I forget. But uh, you know, shouts to the dogs who did come through, particularly Uriah Hall and his team. Uh, man, that was crazy. I was even like tweeting, like like many people, like man, you could stop this, and I'd be happy with it. It's fine. But Uriah Hall, man, he's durable. He 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 was showing signs that he was getting back into the fight even before the round was up. And uh, in the corner, I went back to listen because my man Eric Nixick, Sh- uh, Shim Couture, shout out to Eric Nixick, Shim Couture. Um, 
he called it, man. Yoko was fading right to his left, which was into um, he was drifting, I should say, into to his left, which was into Hall's right hand. And uh, Eric reminded of that in between corners. And me and Eric talked before that and kind of sharing stuff. And really, you know, it was just me kind of sharing opinion, you know, as a friend. And Eric's so on point, like there really wasn't anything I was really sharing that he kind of wasn't already onto. Um. So again, even though the pick was one way, it was one of those where I was wishing the other way. And I was, I, even despite it, I, was, I still was close to picking Hall, but it's like one of those things like, you know, I've spoken about it on here before, guys I like or, you know, when there's biases that should be at play. I, I think, I, you know, again, I, we talk about overcorrecting the steering wheel. I'm not beyond that. I, I said it a bunch of times, I'm not beyond overcorrecting the steering wheel. And you kind of got to, you know, spot your biases, spot your flaws. It's the only way you kind of get better. And that's one of the things I've always kind of done, and I, uh, I've talked about on previous podcasts. I kind of roots back to, you know, my days teaching you know, karate and taekwondo. You have students who like you hold them to higher standards. You, or you make sure you're not showing favoritism. You go out of your way sometimes, maybe for better or worse. This time was for worse, um, but you know, again, I was glad to be wrong there. Uh, real happy for them, and especially just not just winning, but overcoming adversity. You know, as a team, obviously, Uriah Hall is the one that deserves the credit. He's the one that's fucking in there. But, you know, it's really, you know, obviously, I bias toward the team there. And that was one where the team, you know, really has to come together, not just in the fight to adjust in, in crazy scenarios like that, but also, you know, before beforehand, you know, and you, you, you maybe not, you know, on the best of winning streak or, you know, um, you know, it's not a knock on fighters, but it's, it's, it's your mental, anybody's mental psyche is going to be fragile. You're going into a cage to fight, and that's kind of hard to handle as a team and, you know, um, getting your guy off on the right foot. So, so props to them. It's, it's, it's a, it's a hard process behind the scenes. Not, not saying for them and uh, I'm just saying in general. So you got to respect, uh, got to respect the team as well. So props there, but yeah, um, not too much to talk about, I guess in the main guy there is, but it's like, uh, I'm just going to kind of blow through it here. Um, Rockle didn't look great. was getting tagged. You know, a lot of people kind of already talked about it. His defense was, was, not just bad, but kind of worse than normal. He wasn't particularly, you know, he did, did the same defensive head lanes Rockhold, and, and you kind of saw it cost him a bit. Uh, Branch was actually doing pretty good until he, he tapped strikes, which was, uh, I saw some controversy being tweeted back and forth, like Dan Hardy and fans and this and that. So obviously there's been all the sides stated on that. Don't really need to hear from me from that. I'm not, to be honest, I'm not too hard one way or the other, but uh, yeah. You don't see that often, right? Um, yeah, Perry defeated Reyes there. Uh, Usman looking like a beast. What else do we have? Uh, Ledette. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll just go ahead and push through that. Oh, Paul Felder, he, he killed it, man. He did great, uh, commentating. They only gave him four fights, and it was nice to hear, uh, you know, him get the rub from Anik and even Dominic Cruz and and uh, it was deservingly so. Felder Felder killed it. He he he, uh, <clears throat> he did great. Um, he, he, I don't know, he had that like that cadence that kind of like real like for example what they say you know um, DC they'll say DC is better than Cruz in, in this aspect and even Stan who I love Stan miss Stan but bum we're not gonna have Brian Stan but his technical. And as accurate as guys like Brian Stan and Dominic Cruz are, you know, DC kind of has that personality factor. You know, he has that warm, that, you know, that 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 that, that, that welcoming baritone in his voice. That gel, maybe not baritone, but you know, but you know that 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 character to him. You know, that character to him. And and 
And Felder's got the same thing. I was, I was tweeting. It almost reminded me of like a Jens Pulver, you know? Because Jens Pulver is a real natural with people, man. You know, whether he was doing a visit with the troops or, you know, commentating. Um, you know, it might not have been polished in certain aspects if you want to hold into those standards. But as far as, you know, cadence translating, you know, that confidence, um, it's there. And someone even tweeted that. Uh, that rich highlight dude does the, 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 the Twitter or the, the Simpsons Twitter thing. Anyways, he's like, oh, he's surprised. Like, uh, Feller's confidence. And and I tweeted uh, from college acting. It sounded like a douchey thing to tweet, but it's true. You know, you do theater and stuff like that as someone who's, who came up doing that through school. It really helps you. It helps you speak. helps you do things uh, better than you might think as far as that goes. It's like, you know, whether you're doing it to get roles or get chicks or whatever it's funny like you're like oh that auditioning and the acting and the stuff it actually helps you especially you know you know um god forbid you're putting it not god forbid but you know just so happened life puts you you know in front of a camera doing something like that so uh felder made a great account for himself i knew he would but he really hit it out of the park um i didn't even think you know i need to make any bold predictions here i think we're going to see him a lot more i think that much is clear so uh, props to the Irish Dragon there. Um, oh, yeah, my Junkie JBLE article. That should be uh, the Joint Base Langley Uses the Military Troop uh, visit. Speaking of uh, Paul Felder, went there, um, covered it on the last podcast, and, and possibly touched on it the one before. It's Colby Covington, Misha Tate, Sisteran. Uh, keep a look at MMA Junkie for that. Um, that recap should drop. A lot of cool anecdotal stories, and you might even learn a thing or two. So, uh, so yeah, keep posted to that. And with no further ado, let's go to the UFC Japan. We're going to start as usual, bottom to top, start with the prelims, work our way up, covering odds and all that, all that fun stuff. That's what we do here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. I will miss uh, many details, so that's why I always say, even though, like I said, you know, gambling and stuff you're going to find here, all the details, my flagship of my work, the breakdowns, the things I'm most proud of, uh, the, I'm most proud of. You can find that on MMA Junkie. Gr- grateful to say that. Uh, still, still, you know, uh, feels weird saying that, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, hey, uh, I really appreciate it, and it's and it's and it's thanks to y'all. So, just a reminder, make sure to know uh, that's where you're going to be finding it for now here on out. Thank you guys. Uh, go check the breakdown. Any details I miss on here will be there. All right. Starting off with the prelims, let's see. I'm pulling up the odds. Um, by the way, I'm pulling the odds on on, on on five dimes. Uh, I actually did get a DSI account. It just Dan Tom's an old man and was confused for a second and didn't have the time to like, dissect it. And I haven't gone back to it yet. But I still have like a credit there and everything. I stopped using my shit. And then I had to end my Bavada stuff because yeah, I don't know. Some another damn law or some weird thing passed where. Or like one of the few states not covered. So first DraftKings, now Bavada. Who would have thought a degenerate who lives in Vegas would have such a hard time gambling? Granted, it's online gambling. I get it. There's a whole other argument to be had there. I'm not getting into it, but yeah, just, just it sucks for uh, simpleton degenerates like myself. All right, we're going to start from the bottom, like I said, for the seventh time now. Young uh, <clears throat> Yu Lim, minus 125 favorite versus... Uh, uh, Daichi a- Abe, Abi. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll go with Abe. Honest Abe. Honest Abe is an underdog plus 105. Honest Abe is a black belt. Um, you know, he's. It's hard to tell us how, how, how big he is. He's 5'11, which is no. You know, not a small welterweight by any means, but he does look skinny. And, you know, uh, you know, the Japanese don't traditionally cut a lot of weight. 
similar frame to like that Oliver Endcamp kid who was fighting at welterweight. We you didn't know how to you know match him up against who was a big welterweight in Taleb. Well, he's facing a, a, another big welterweight, an even bigger welterweight, obviously in a Hyung Gyu Lim. But you know a lot of questions about Hyung Gyu Lim. You know, did he get by on his size for a while? You know, we saw yeah, as impressive and as amazing as that fight was, like everything you you want as far as heart and warrior spirit against Tarek Safadin and the the first Singapore card years ago, but. You know, had the quick win against Sato, who was kind of flopping to his back, was kind of already defeated, injured, old, on his way out. And aside from that, he, you know, lost. He had that weird loss to Magni, who Magni was on the upswing, so it became less weird in that aspect. But, you know, Magni, not, A, you know, not to pick on Magni, but it's not like Magni doesn't have a ceiling to him that we're seeing. And more importantly, more relevant to this argument, he was really kind of weird that, you know, when you watch that fight, you know, Hyung Gyu Lim... He he really gasses out early, and it's not really like even a clear shot. Like he just it just you know when the bottom drops out, the bottom drops out. Uh, I'm not gonna pretend to know why. It's all speculation, obviously. But yeah, when the bottom drops out, the bottom drops out. And I'm not trying to play revisionist history, but I really was super super close. And one of those you wish you just went with it. You know, just didn't make any sense. But I I did. You know initially favor Mike Perry uh, when doing the breakdown, but it was one of those things where I kind of talked myself out of it. You know, you I quote-unquote talked sense into myself that the debutante who's untested, who's getting all the first-round knockouts and didn't see a decision, you know, was going to beat the big welterweight who's used to fighting on the big stage and a, a big card. Well, yeah. Yeah, we saw it happen there. And uh, we haven't seen Kim since, and, you know, I don't know if it was overestimation of things or one of those things where, you, you know, it was USADA plays a small role when you look at the timelines of these things. Not to pick or overly disrespectfully. I'm a fan of Lim. I'm not trying to be disrespectful there, but, you know, these are things you have to take in, in, in a factor with certain sample sizes and, and certain things in our sport. And uh, Or maybe it's just one of those things where you see these guys who are those anomalies. You know, they have that weird combination of size and skill, but they kind of bank on that in a one-dimensional way, whether it's a one-dimensional thing or not by nature, they kind of bank on it too much. And, you know, MMA, like life, there, there are no biological free rides. It's, it's going to catch up with you, and maybe that's what we're seeing here. Um, <clears throat> like Perry and like a, another fighter on the prelims here we'll talk about next, uh, Abi, you know, he, he uh, has a good counter, honest Abe, he has a good uh, counter right hand. Uh, the judo... He doesn't seem too active. Obviously, you know, judo guys aren't shooting doubles. Most of their work is from the clinch. So by nature, there's a certain opportunistic nature that, that that's only going to happen to anyways. But but even when those, you know, even when he's in that clinch space or, you know, um, takedown space, he's not necessarily looking for it. You know, granted, he only has a couple fights and only, you know, not all of them are available online. At least I could find. So limited sample size, in other words, here uh, for Honest Abe, but... He appears to have some power despite the aforementioned questionable, not sure of, however you want to put it, frame of his. So you look at the right hand of Mike Perry and what it did, and I don't think he's got Mike Perry power granted. Obviously, Mike Perry has you know, proven his worth more since that young Gulen fight. But um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Honest Abe I iced him here. Uh, I wanted to pick him. Maybe I'm making the same mistake that I just told you I made with, you know, Mike Perry and Hyungi Lim. If that is, I'll take it on the chin and, and try not to do revisionist history there, um, which I was wasn't trying to do with the with the Perry Lim one. But but yeah, uh, either way, uh, I, I'm still standing by the pick. 
uh, in limb, but it is on the fights to avoid. I have four on there for people keeping track at home because, again, uh, don't have the physical sheet out there for you on this one, but you're listening to the right place if you want to know. All right, so that's on my avoid list. Didn't play anything. I don't like the overs. Uh, I don't even like the fight doesn't go the distance. Like Even that just scares me. There's just... From the debutante to the unstable sample size and layoff of Kim. Who knows what the hell to expect here. Next fight, speaking of a guy who is deceptively strong on the clinch and has deceptive power for being a 5'11 welterweight, although looks a little more the part. Yeah, I'm talking about Luke Jimo versus Shinso the Animal Anzai. Uh, Anzai versus smaller for a welterweight. Doesn't look like he cuts weight at all. He's, like, he's a 5'9 guy. He's, like, he's fought at middleweight you know, in the regional scene, but... Again, he just looks the same. Like, he's not really um, cutting weight there. You know, just kind of a, uh, like the name Animal suggests, you know, swings wide, very, you know, wrestling base. Mixing, he's at his best when he's going forward, mixing strikes and takedowns, making it an ugly fight. Like, again, his name Animal would suggest. Um, Jimmo can neutralize that, though. You know, uh, I, I see a lot of people high on Luke Jumo. Um and I guess understandably so. It's a pretty bargainable price for the matchup and, you know, for a guy with decent ceiling that's probably going to at least show some type of fight-to-fight improvements. You know, there can be arguments to be had as far as how much. Yeah, it definitely makes sense there. And again, not trying to play revisionist history in the positive, but I was one of the people who officially picked Luke as an underdog play and played him against Dominic Steele. I can't remember what the odds were, but, it, you know, it wasn't anything crazy, but it was decent. Um... But it was just one of those things where he's had deceptive power, man. Uh, not trying to, you know, again, swing over the bias home base. But them Pacific Islanders, man, them thick bones translate to some power. And he's got some Pacific, you know, some Pacific Islander, maybe even a little Asian Pacific Islander. We can smell our own, obviously. But no, no, in all seriousness, no. There, there is some kind of weird power to Luke Jumeau. And, um,. He showed an improvement, and it was his debut. You know, this is his debut where you're not getting the best fighter. He even admitted it in his post fight. He's like, yeah, I got was jittery, and you could even tell he could barely collect himself for the post fight. Uh, you know, bless him. But uh, which was just, I love his post fight in New Zealand on the regional scene, Jumo. Really cool stuff. But um, but yeah, just really glad to see uh, him get the win. I think he can get the win here. You know, um, barring a crazy shot or and you know. It's just hard. Even Anzai at his best, I see Jumo being able to neutralize him. And a guy with a counter right hand, this is like the, it's a tailor-made matchup in that sense, you know. Again, Anzai's a wide swinger, so you want a, a sizable guy who can put some power behind a counter, who can defend and take down. And uh, I think Jumo's that guy. I think Jumo already proved that by beating Dominic Steele, a better version, a better version of Anzai. So um, I actually took... Uh, Jumo's uh, one of two parlay pieces straight at minus 245. I'm sure many of you got him at a better price. Um, if he wins, then congrats to you for getting that price. But, uh, yeah, I just I still thought it was worth it at 245, so I played it. As far as props, he also made the prop cut. Um, yep, that's right. Uh, half a unit play. I know, big money, big spender. Plus 190, Jumo inside the distance. Um, as far as right now, Wednesday night, submissions, uh, and and like KO props aren't up there, but I, I like the inside the distance. It, it's more of a better way to play him up straight, and then I also uh, got him in a parlay. All right, next fight um, is on the avoid list. We have Chan Mijian 
versus Suri Kondo. Uh, this was one that was like 11th hour too. I was going back and forth. Originally came in with Kondo. But then as we see in the women's division, sometimes just, you know, not just the debutante thing, which is effective through all divisions. Um, you know, you can never be sure, even if it's a good debutante with promise, you have to temper your expectations. But also with just women in general, uh, forward, moving, durable, fighter spirit, whether they're being effective or not, does really well in judges' scorecards. You know, Gian could have won that fight against Aldridge in, in that sense. Don't get me wrong. I agree with that Aldridge won, so I'm, I'm glad she won. But, um, you know, those physical intangibles, even though the women's divisions are progressing, don't get me wrong, but that still goes a long way. Physicality goes a long way. And you add skill to it, and then you just, you know, you have, you've got Amanda Nunes, Caitlin Vieira's, you know, stuff like that. Um, Gian, not, not, not on those levels of the aforementioned girls, but she's young, man. She could be, she, she, she very well could be. So, um, so yeah, I was really on the fence. I ended up going with Kondo. I mean, on paper, even though she's not, uh, I think that aside from the two inches and the inch here, there and reach, she definitely will be the smaller girl. Um, when they just, when they get, when they get in the, the octagon, but you know, Kondo, she does stuff I like. She keeps her feet under her when she jabs. She doesn't throw herself out of position. And she really owns that center line. And it doesn't look like much, but, you know, you look at the face of some of the girls she's fighting. And she's got some deceptive power, Kondo does. And even without the deceptive power, a well-disciplined fighter is keeping their feet underneath them. They're owning that center line. That's exactly what you want against someone like uh, Gian. Because the reason why Gian last her, lost her last fight against uh, uh, Aldridge is Aldridge owning that center line. Granted... Is more of an awkward center line to control. The southpaw will generally have a slight intangible edge there, as Aldridge, through the help of her corner, was reminded to use that edge. But I think, you know, style and tangible aside, um, I feel like Kondo's a better striker than Aldridge on paper for sure. But I think even with the intangibles in play, it should show itself here. That's why I picked Kondo. Also, in grappling, too. Um, John didn't show too much grappling in her UFC fight, but in her regional fight, um, what's that? Uh, what's that? Um, I forget. It was that Cre Korean organization where they had like that pride first ten minute rounds, and it was like two rounds or some shit. But anyways, she would um, go for really bad doubles against the fence, and you know, again, that can even if you're not being effective, um, that could win you judges' scorecards. Just you know, out physically in girls, and and she did that on on the regional scene. But uh, the thing was, it was just very poor technique. Like, you know, you look where her head at as opposed to where her hips are, you know, head below the hips and just bad posture, broken posture. So it was stuff that not only was not going to allow her to get the takedown, it could get her in trouble when she feasted someone like Kondo, who if you look at Kondo's regional fights, you know, she fought Pancrase. She got some decent competition, a pretty decent organization there for sure. Um, been around for a minute, but even just as far as what they're feeding, what they're currently re re more relevantly circulating, they're doing some good stuff, so... Um, again, not the best competition, but not like your typical, like, you know, um, they got the Brazilian housemaid to jump in for some of those Brazil regionals that, that you see if you, if you, if you dig deep enough, but, um, but yeah, the, the point is when, when, when girls would do that to condo, she has a knack for, um, working well from the front headlock. So if you go and go like for a shitty double and you just do like a cage press, you have your head below your hips and you have a broken posture, um, condo. Kondo will use it and, and, and snap you to the ground. She'll, she'll do snap downs and float to the back. She's not like just jumping for guillotines aimlessly and shit. Like she floats position. Um, 
and again, I don't know, she's, in, she's a professional wrestler aside from having kickboxing experience, like 10 and 1 as a kickboxer and trains at a pretty good t- kickboxing school. But, you know, the pro wrestling, it's like, I, I don't discount it because there's a lot of legitimacy to pro wrestling, especially up in Japan because it relates to catch wrestling. You know, Dan Tomlitz, the lineage he comes from and kind of pumps his chest on. So I got much respect for that. Uh, you know, it, she, she could have a, a decent lineage there. But. She has some good MMA grappling awareness, for sure, whatever it is, because she floats well. She seems to know what to commit to, what not to commit to. So I think it's going to be competitive, but I think she should win the decision. I'm not betting it. That's why it's an avoid. By the way, I believe Joan was an underdog. Now she's like a minus 105 favorite to a minus 115 favorite, or, you know, uh, favorite money, I should say, uh, minus money. Uh, all right, next fight uh, is the next... And the only other straight, um, not straight play, but uh, just you know, straight up, not, 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 you know, parlay fodder, you know, using a prop piece or anything like that, like actual parlay piece. Uh, we had Luke Jimmo and Juicy A Formiga, minus four fifty range uh, now, although he really wasn't much lower, um, depending on when you got him from the opener, but it's justifiably so, you know, Uka Sasaki. You know, surprises with Scoggins, but we know the story with Scoggins. And furthermore, even though Sasaki's scrappy, he's big, he has these intangibles that can surprise a lot of guys, even ones that are good grapplers. Um, you know, the thing about being a good back taker is sometimes, and you know, you could be too comfortable getting your back taken. And uh, it's definitely, you know, again, not that my comparison means a shit to, to these guys, but it's definitely a problem that I experienced for what it's worth in my personal grappling uh, style. And you get too comfortable, and you see this a lot with the Japanese. More relevantly to what we're talking about, you see this a lot in the Japanese style grapplers, where they'll they'll be really comfortable giving position because, you know, again, one of their stereotypes that do hold true. They're, they're so composed. They're so, which is true, very composed. But sometimes a little too composed. Sometimes a little too comfortable. And Sasaki can get that way. And granted, he's only been submitted once, which was again by a world champion, Leandro Issa. Well, he's facing another world champion, Formiga. In my opinion one of the best back takers, you know, uh, in the sport. Uh, of course, you know, flyweight division doesn't get a lot of attention. He, you know, he hasn't fought the right names, the right times, uh, fought enough, uh, lost key fights that were close decisions, and even when he was winning, was winning by decision. So Formiga wasn't doing himself or hasn't been doing himself any favors, but when you look at those fights and you look at the skills that are there, like it's there. It hasn't gone anywhere. I don't think we've quite seen the age thing hit strongly, you know, uh, where it's like, oh, he's not the same fighter anymore. Um, I don't think we could point to the USADA intangibles as strongly. If anything, he's like more muscular and, and, and made some improvements. Um, and, you know, losing close decisions, some, some some you can make arguments for. And then, yeah, you know, TKO'd in his first first fight coming in there fast. I, you know, I don't think it was short notice, but I don't think it was like a full camp. They kind of put that fight together fast. They were kind of throwing the fast injecting the 125ers in there when he got TKO'd by a, uh, in his prime, and his um, John Dotson on that, when he was on that upswing. So, yeah, I like, I like Formiga here. I think he's going to make uh, Sasaki pay. I wouldn't be surprised that he gets the submission. Um, I'm looking for that, uh, but I did play Formiga inside the distance plus 165 because the minus 450 makes him too out of range for a straight play, and I feel comfortable with him getting a finish here. I think it's going to be by submission, obviously, not only because Formiga doesn't have any TKO wins, but, you know, if you look at his striking, 
the power is not definitely not his his, his most top uh, attribute. And with that being flyweight, I guess you can't blame him. But yeah, I, I do see Sasaki, um, despite the home court advantage and not having to travel, I don't. I don't like him having to. Uh, I, I don't, don't don't like him in this matchup here. So yeah, inside the distance at a half unit, um, plus one sixty five. Surprised I didn't play play more, but yeah. And uh, he is the parlay piece to, with Jumo, and uh, we'll get to the overs that you can or cannot, whatever you want to do. Parlay pieces, surprise parlay fodder. For some props. Oh, one of them actually passed kind of a, the Gian Kondo. I think that's the only thing worth playing is the over. But again, that's more just a fun kind of parlay fodder. If you want to tack something on, that's a minus 265. Um, a decent ad, but that stuff, I got burned by a lot of those last. Uh, minus the heavyweight play, oddly enough, with Ledette and uh, Zhu on Wanyu. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you get burned by those easily, so at, at your own risk there. But but as far as overs, that and, and, and another one, which we'll get to later, are the only ones even worth even looking at. That's a better word, looking at. All right, next fight, last on the prelims. We have Alex Morono's 135 favorite, uh, Sketa Nakamura, plus 155, or 115 dog. I agree with the odds here, but I, I picked Nakamura. Um, again, Morono's a guy I like. He's one of those guys that's like real dog in the nature. You want to bet Morono, especially as a dog. He's going to work for it. He's going to go for it. Um, but, you know, you got to ask questions about the gas tank, you know, um, with his kind of go for broke and bouncing on the feet style. Does that affect his gas tank? He's definitely got a scrappiness to him. You know, we've seen him go three rounds and longer before when you go to his regional time, but you got to look at a guy who's not that big for welterweight, you know, and I'm not trying to judge a person who genetically carries a lot of body fat because, believe me, your boy, even when he's in good shape, genetically has, you know, a big fucking head and carries a lot of body fat. But so I'm not trying to judge the guy in that aspect. Uh, I champion guys like that. But I, I think there's some room for things. And when you start to see other things that match up with the visual looks like output diminishing or this or that, you you got to ask questions. Um, it looks like he canceled his social media since his last loss there, Nico Price. Which was tough. He was winning that fight and doing well against Nico Price, who Nico Price, another guy whose stock has raised since then. You know, making good accounts for himself, showing that it's not fluky, right? That there's something there for Nico Price. So again, not uh, a huge shameful loss for Moreno by any stretch. But it's like, what is he doing? Is he still training, kind of at the gym where he he seems kind of like the king of? You know, he's been kind of training there since that uh, he first came on. It's kind of those same faces. Uh, you think that Morona looks like kind of an everyday computer nerd kind of a dude, not computer nerd kind of a strong word. Uh, and not not attacking y'all computer nerds out there, but you get what I'm saying. Like other guys that look like him, it's like, okay, who's he training? Who's who's going to, you know, at a certain point, it's like you do need somebody to maybe, maybe, maybe not super camps or this or that, but you do need somebody kind of telling you what to do and interjecting, you know, kind of editorializing, if you will the workouts, the preparation. You do need a little bit of editorialization there. And when you're in one of those places, I'm not saying this is total speculation. I don't know. I don't know if this this was or is now. But if, hypothetically speaking, you're in one of those situations, you know, it's not good. And you're going to go against a crafty veteran guy, one of the best back takers who, you know, getting his ass kicked by a dude with a retard strength. Uh, I know I always apologize, and I use that word every podcast, but... Uh, Lee, Lee Jing Lang, you know, in that last Japan card. 
Nakamura was, comes back like a fucking samurai. But then even against, you know, Elijah Dusky Dos Santos or whatever, Elijah Dusky Dos Santos, um, who, again, another guy whose stock is raised, right? And since that performance with, with Nakamura and, and so forth. But that guy's tough to win rounds against. He's got the athletic intangibles and he's got real skills. He can create scrambles, all of these things. Yet Nakamura is able to get his back even after getting rocked and almost submitted like multiple times. How does he end the fight? Takes his back like a fucking gangster. Like, you got to fucking oust Nakamura really to beat him. I mean, it's really tough for you. Otherwise, it's going to be a much closer fight than expected. And even if you're favoring Morono, which I don't blame you, and I don't blame the odds makers for favoring him, you, you can't think this is gonna, not going to be a close fight no matter how you cut it. And, and for those reasons alone, you could take Nakamura. I, I definitely took a shot on him. But that's not only why, again, um, I think that activeness, the reasons why, what I was kind of getting to, the reasons why you would like Morono as a dog, I believe those attributes play badly into a veteran who he may have been slower, the bottom is due to drop out, but I don't think that's happened yet. And if it hasn't happened yet, and it doesn't happen this fight, then I think you're going to have a guy in Morono whose style is going to be playing right into him. You know, I could see him getting better at striking exchanges, maybe even hurting Nakamura, but he goes after the kill, and Nakamura, again, he's even able to hustle down a guy like who is stronger, bigger, has better footwork, better technique, better counter-grappling in Dos Santos, was able to corral him into the fence, take him down, take his back, even when hurt. I think he can do it to Morono here. I know Morono's a black belt in his own right, and he's scrappy and scrambly, but again, you know, he, he guys that are scrappy and scrambly are going to give their back in the scrambles or allow a guy like Nakamura to find the back. Right? I mean, when we've seen with Morono before, whether it's turtling up to stand or he'll attack from his guard and kind of do that that roll back over his shoulders to come up, up to a tripod that stand, which is a good technique. I like it. Nick Diaz, a lot, of, a lot of people use it well, but it's a small room for error, even if you're a black belt. Because when you, you, fight, you face guys like Nakamura, who are just A, really fucking good at taking backs, and B, they're the, I hate to use the term crafty veteran, but they fucking own it. He's a, he's a, he's a, He's a flagship poster child for that. So uh, I took a shot on Nakamura there. I may have took something by, by decision, but I, I don't think I could recommend it to you if I did because it's not written on my sheet here. But just saying. Um, yeah, mean a song. Uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So I took him there. All right, well, on that beat, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to finish up with the UFC Japan breakdown by unpacking the main card right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC Japan breakdown. We're on the main card. We're on the beginning of the main card, and we're in the featherweight division. We have Mizuto Hirota at a plus 165 dog versus Charles Rosa. I think he came back, or he came down, I should say, from the opener. He is now at minus 190. Maybe not by the time you're listening to this. Again, just a reminder, Wednesday night recording. Pacific time. Um, I like Rosa. You all know, if you listen to me, uh, I've been a fan of Rosa since uh, seeing him, you know, as a stand-in, short-notice stand-in uh, for Dennis, uh, to fight Dennis Seaver. 
really impressed me. Unfortunately, hasn't blossomed like I, 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 you know, I thought he might. Sure, there's a lot of inconsistency and injury. Hopefully, he can build that consistency uh, now that he's been lacking. But uh, and and again, no shame losing to guys like Shane Burgos. But I like him here. Um, Hirota, underrated guy, man. You know, one of those, one of the real, you know. Japanese guys who could box and wrestle, and I've always had a soft spot for those guys like uh, Takeda Mitsugaki and those kind of stylists, you know, um, kind of more the unheralded Japanese type of fighters you don't hear about. You have submissions, specialists, and legends, and flashy dudes, but I, I love those workmen Japanese fighters who are just like wrestling, sprawling, balling, punching, boxing, and uh, Hiroto's one of those guys, but, you know... Rosa definitely needs to sharpen up his defense, and I'll get to his game there. But Hirota, you know, hasn't exactly made the best account for himself, too, when you look at it. You know, since even coming off that, you know, UFC Japan show, whatever that tough version of theirs they had, he's been getting, like, dropped or rocked in, like, pretty much every fight since then. And it's not a great sign. And uh, even though, again, he's underrated in the way he, he not only defends takedowns, but... Even, you know, the criticism of Japanese fighters not using the cage that well. He does, you know, will get his back to that fence and use it. Like, he's a smart, savvy veteran, you know, even with the UFC transition, which this is technically his second time with the UFC. So he should have some familiarity, but, um, or second time around, I should say. But, um, but yeah, you know, from the, not just so much the damage on the chin, but the giving up the takedowns, I see, essentially I just see Charles Rose, and again, I, I visit com for the breakdown, get, get much more in detail about both their styles, but I just essentially see Charles Rosa's, you know, dynamic, striking, and more variety, whether it's effective or not, I, I see him out pointing him with the in and out, frustrating him, being able to get takedowns when he needs to, or at least get takedown pressure to neutralize, to, you know, God forbid he needs to recover, or anything like that, you know, I see him being able to do these things at the very worst, if not taking him down, and, you know, when Horota gets down in the open, when he doesn't have the cage or anything to stand him up, he's he's good. Like, he'll go for a leg lock, and he'll go for, like, some unorthodox stuff to use to scramble up to his feet. Stuff that I like, uh, I'm a fan of personally, but you know who else likes it? Charles Rosa likes it. And you know who's better at it than me or Horota put together? Anybody, uh, or not anybody, but, you know, relatively speaking, the matchup? Yeah, I think I think Rosa's better than Horota at it, for sure. Um, despite the things, despite the, the fact that I like a lot of the things that Rosa does technically. It's just you're gonna get in that matchup with a guy like Rosa. You're not gonna draw the short end of the straw as far as the scrambling game. You know, Rosa re wrestles when appropriate, whether he's effective or not. But he can also do the unorthodox stuff himself too, like I just mentioned, as far as you know, uh, rolling to leg locks to use, you know, create the scrambles and so forth, and kind of uh, chaining off from there, using it as connective pieces to his game. So um, yeah, I like Rosa. I think it's gonna be a close fight. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not like go. Bet he's not in a parlay piece, but I did play. Uh, I did. I did play Rosa as a straight play since one mind is a little high. I went one point five unit, which is a high bet for me. But again, it's the only um, favorite straight play, and it's the only one within range that I kind of feel feel good about enough to at least enough to play. Obviously, so um, the play is Rosa. I mean, I have no illusion. It should be uh, probably a decision, and it should be a, a back and forth one, a fun one. But I don't think it'll be ba- too back and forth. Um, in the sense of like uh, the Shane Burgos fight, where he's just having to survive storm, you know, he's in a hailstorm all of a sudden, goes from surviving storms to being in a hailstorm. I don't see, I don't see Hiroto doing that to him. And if he does, grats to him. Hopefully, he re- takes that note to retired old pugness there. 
with the pug tattoo. But um, but yeah, I see Rosa all day here. I think this is where he steps it up. I think he knows it. Uh, interviewing him uh, uh, on the uh, on the on the other on the other podcast there, May Junkie Radio. By the way, find me five days a week on there. We're back tomorrow, baby, on the air Thursday. So I'm stoked about that. But we recently talked to Charles Rosa on there is what I was trying to say. And I really like the way he sounded, uh, where his head's at. Um, and uh looks like he wasn't too affected. He looks like he was part of the crew where he stayed and trained as late as he could with the American top team and was right back in there um, when things cleared up. So he was able to, uh, you know, at least according to his social media, um, didn't look like he missed too much time in the gym. Um, and looks in great shape heading over. So that's the pick there. Next fight. Oh, the next fight. Rolando Dye versus Truto Ishihara. Dye plus 135 underdog. Uh, Ishihara minus 155 favorite. This makes sense. It's a pretty sensible line. Um, I was a little surprised it wasn't more at first, but then re-familiarizing myself with Dai. I was confusing Dai with the uh, Thomas, although now that I think about it, the Thomas probably had a better shot at Ishihara than, I, than one might think. But, um... Yeah, man, it was more just, just Ishihara, not just being soured on paper, but going back and looking at it, you know, like, uh, granted, a lot of it could be, you know, uh, first of all, I think Team Alpha Male is doing great stuff with him and many other people. I think Ishihara's shortcomings is more of a reflection on him than it is Team Alpha Male, especially that Lobov fight, who, you know, even Lobov, again, it's kind of a theme here, guys making a better account of themselves since you know, the sample in question. And those are things we have to take into account. But yeah, Lobov looked better than we thought uh, recently. But still, uh, Ishihara, I think, uh, whether he would have won or not, can make that argument. But but he definitely shot out his own stuff in the foot with his prep. Apparently he was partying, not taking it seriously, etc., etc. And I don't know if any of that hold true for his last fight against Maynard, but it's just, it's just really surprising the lack of options there. And that's what it comes to, you know. That's what was clicking. I'm like, oh, yeah, if this guy doesn't hit his pull counters and, you know, hits his uh, God-given power, then he struggles. You know, there's not a lot of decisions, that, uh, much less decision wins. Uh, and, you know, he's a young fighter. He doesn't have the experience there. His style's not obviously predicating or catering to that kind of a fight. So unless he builds upon it, then he is stuck having to rely upon the finish. Yeah, he's got submission threats too, but I think again these are probably more opportunistic submission threats where you know you look and you know, he rocks the guy first, like things happen, the guy turtles away or makes it obvious, he jumps on and chokes him out. You know, these are kind of the submission f- finishes where it's like okay, how much how much weight you know can you put into it kind of a thing. He's more of a guy that just relies on his power. And when you have the attitude intangibles, where if you're taking guys lightly partying, and it's all fun and games, it's all great. Like hey man. Get them bitches, Ishihara. I'm not hating, believe me, but you got to factor these things in. And you're like, oh, wow, even when guys don't show that, we've all seen that common case where the guy's athletic or he has knockout power and then he relies on it. And like I said earlier in the podcast, there's no biological free rises. Everything's going to catch up with you in MMA. And um, it already caught up with Ishihara. I think the question is, you know, he's young, so he's got plenty of time to adjust. That's fine. Does he adjust, though? I'd like to think so. He needs to. Narrative would tell us that this is where he turns it around, hence him being the favorite, and I agree with that. But MMA does, gives two shits about any of that, guys. We all know this. MMA gives two shits about what should happen. And uh, Dai is durable. He's only stopped once, which was Caceres, and that, justifiably so. Caceres, you know, deceptively effective striker, depending on what you might think of him, but especially up at featherweight. You know, he he he, he can uh, 
more consistently put pop behind his shots, but that wasn't why it was stopped. It was a, it was one of those typical thumbs for the eye, not enough intentional eye pokes, kind of the glove design. We see it. Those are the, the worst ones where it's like a punch, but it hurts the eye. And Dai did everything from lying to not answering questions to stay in there. And you could see how crushed he was that he couldn't keep fighting. Like, that's a guy, you know, makes me feel a little bit better betting on as a dog. That's a guy that wants to fight. And he's durable as shit. He hasn't lost his submission losses, hasn't come in like in years. And, you know, he, he's a pretty safe positional fighter. He's not throwing himself out there to get the takedowns. You know, that's kind of one of the criticisms. He's a little too conservative for my liking, which kind of worries me. But he's still more diverse than Ishihara. So if it does go to a decision, I think he, I think he works more. You know, even though that's been his criticism, at least for me personally, watching his footage in the past, that he, he could have stepped in the gas more, pushed for takedowns more. Well, the thing is, though, whether it's shooting and putting himself in a bad spot um, or throwing and throwing himself way out of position, the good thing about his conservative in this, he's not doing that a lot. And that's what Ishihara relies upon. Ishihara needs guys. Ishihara has done good against guys who underestimate him or have styles where they're going to come forward. They have poor defense, so they're going to cater to a counter striker like Ishihara. But Dai will kind of pressure faint, pressure faint. And it, I, he has some boring matches where if the guy's not biting, he's patient as shit. And it makes for a boring match, like I said, but... That's a good thing to have against a guy like Ishihara. You want the guy that's patient. Because Ishihara, we've seen him get impatient. We've seen his game unravel. And he doesn't adjust well. So even if Dai, at his worst, is being conservative and is playing the waiting game, I still see him winning out scorecards. Although, again, not something you should count on. But more importantly than winning out the scorecard, he's going to flush Ishihara. Ishihara is going to make the first mistake. Now, can Dai do something about it? I don't know. We will see. But I'm betting yes. I, I played Dai straight up here. I put a half unit on him. Uh, that completes a straight play. a half unit of Nakamura plus 115, 1.5 on Rosa, 190, and then I played Die. I also took Die by decision um, at plus 250, which I was hoping it'd be more, uh, but I only played a quarter unit. So it's, again, I'm, I'm not losing any sleep if I lose that bet. And to hedge it in the prop wise, one of the few uh, overs that I felt was worth playing, but I, this wasn't the one on the parlay fodder because, one, you know, this fight. It's still volatile at the end of the day. I'm, I'm, I might sound confident. I'm, believe me, I'm, I have no disillusion. It's, it's a volatile fight. Like I don't, I don't recommend you follow me. I also recommend you don't really put money on it. That, that being said, I'm being honest with you. I am. And uh, to kind of hedge that die play, I put a, uh, I, I, I put a, I put a, a three quarter unit uh, on. A, I know I usually go half or full, but just because it was. Um, it's still volatile, but the number's low enough. I made it a straight play. It's not worth, you know, putting your parlays, bridging a parlay on, that's for damn sure. But the over, they only have to go one and a half. It's minus 165. I think Ishihara at his best needs a win. Well, at his best, he ices him, and then this that over doesn't cash, obviously. But if that doesn't happen, if Ishihara is playing as smart and wins or is losing in any type of way, um, I don't think Dai finishes him. I think Dai, you know, is very patient. I think Ishihara is going to be more patient than he needs to be. One, he, he he's okay with being patient even when he's at his worst or fighting at his norm or however you want to categorize that statement because we've seen it. Um, he carries power even into the third round and physically and psycho uh, psychologically he believes in it. So he's in no rush even at his, even even, you know, if he's just looking for the kill shot, Ishihara is in no rush. If he's smart, 
he will also be in no rush because he needs the win here. He's going to need to make sure he's doing everything right. He might be in, he might even be in his own head a little bit too much. We see it. guys come off that 2-0. and you know, that's another thing I kind of look for as far as we're going to bet an over or a decision or if I'm trying to make those a check mark of intangibles when I'm, you know, weighing out, okay, well, this this kind of leads to this side, this kind of leads, and at the end, you kind of, you, you, with your own mentality, th- mentality through your own chart, you see what outweighs more. So when I'm when I'm looking at this over, I, I, when I'm looking at over, not just for anybody, they're coming off of two losses, I'm like, okay, that's more of a chance for overs or decisions to hit because, again, they need that win bad. They need that win bad. It doesn't matter... If their style is going out and killing people and the UFC is being nice and they're giving them a matchup for someone to kill, we've seen it before. Even in those scenarios, we'll see the guy come out and come conservative. So that's that's something that I feel pretty confident in saying as far as something worth looking at. It's my canary in a coal mine. Feel free to join me in studying and or betting those sample sizes, but I bet it here. All right, the next one is Luis Enrique versus Gokan Saki. This is... Wow, it's not on my official void, is it? Well, probably not, because I think I took a, a, a shot on Saki just for fun to keep it interesting because he was so low to play. I think he's minus 175. I might have got him for minus 165. Um, I have to look at that. My thing just expired. But uh, I've written here, Henrique was plus 155 range. Um, that's, that's about right, you know. But like I said my breakdown, at the end of the day, it's... It's a guy in Saki who's a kickboxer coming over to MMA. He's only had one MMA fight, which was back in 2004 when he lost. He's switching sports and coming off a two-year layoff from combat sports in general, competition in general. You know, uh, so for anybody to be confident here, I don't, I don't know about that. But yeah, I mean, Saki should win. I think he hits him with a check hook, puts him out in the first round because Henrique de Silva only comes forward and he just punches away in the clinch. He wants to fight in the tie clinch and. I don't know how that's going to work for him against a guy who has the Muay Thai accolades of Gokan Saki and obviously the striking accolades. Saki, no slouch in the clinch, and his left hook is just money. He can counter with it too, so I see that check left hook hitting Henrique, and, and I would favor Henrique more. He may even play him, but he hasn't shown any offensive wrestling. Again, when he's there in the clinch, any kind of grappling, it's just a, a grappling of the head to facilitate a plumb to facilitate knees and strikes. He's not looking to grapple. If he's if the fights are on the ground, if Enrique's fights have been on the ground, it's because he's been knocked down, taken down off a caught, caught kick or some shit like that, and he's on his back. Now he's ended up on top because he's, he's got some really opportunistic sweeps that, God bless him, they pay off. Then I don't, some of them I don't think they're going to work. I'm like, wow, he hit that? Really? Maybe it was the right place, right time kind of thing. But again, I don't know if you count that as a, as a biological free ride. Is my previous example, but that's something that... As far as, you know, rides that are going to expire, let's just say there's an expiration on that ticket um, with, with his approach as far as the, his style of jiu-jitsu there on the bottom. Good good on him. He's hit some really cool shit, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's going to hit that. I mean, I don't know if I should be criticizing him here because it's not like he's facing a good grappler, right? Uh, if anything, he's probably facing his easiest... Uh, his easiest win as far as the grappling department goes. It's just, again, he's just lacking the wrestling. So unless he, he shows that, I don't know if he's going to get that against a guy like Saki. He's, he's older, but he's not that old. He's, and again, he's, he was a smaller heavyweight, but the, the perks of being a smaller heavyweight is not only probably going to make it easy for him to make the light heavyweight limit, which he looks good in the social media, Saki does. But Saki is an athletic uh, guy, you know, to, to be able to compete as a smaller size light heavyweight. So... Um, he's good footwork. You know, he has things that you need as a smaller size career light heavyweight or a career heavyweight. So uh, I think those will translate well to light heavyweight. 
And yeah, as long as he just doesn't, you know, as long as he just adjusts his game appropriately, you know, you can't you can't sit back and shell so freely from you know like you're used to with the big gloves. Uh, so we've seen Saki whenever he faces guys that are aggressive, he seems to secede and let them kind of take shots at him with that aforementioned shell, and then he'll retaliate late. And you know, in boxing and, and kickboxing, there's more variation of rounds, more protecting of the gloves. It's a different culture. There's just different rules. There's just there's different everything. So it facilitates stuff like that. You know, um, you can't do that Floyd Mayweather thing where you you just give Conor McGregor the first three or four rounds or whatever it was, um, because you know you can come back. That's that's a risky proposition. It's a much even if you're a Floyd Mayweather type like level. It's still just a riskier prop proposition by nature and in, in, in the way MMA is is structured. So. I imagine Saki knows these things, but again, these are just things that, that are worth noting, that are worth watching out for. Um, I kind of cover more of Saki's game in my breakdown um, at Junkie, so check that out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, fight doesn't go the distance. Dan Tom likes that parlay type of fodder, but that's way out of range. It was like minus 600 earlier in the week. I didn't even bother to look at it now. Um, all right, next fight, Dong Young Kim versus Takanori Gomi. This was one I was going to feel better about, but, uh, oh yeah, Saki Silva was on my boy. That's right. I'm looking at the wrong damn list. Uh, Kim Gomi is also on there. Oh, oh, I'm with Kim, and I, don't, and I don't I don't blame anybody for playing him, but it was just one of those ones where, you know, again, he's my, my official pick, but it was just, I don't know, man. Maybe because, you know, I, I want Gomi to go out on top. Maybe there's a little bit of that that's scaring me off from, from betting against Gomi here, but if, if Gomi wasn't so shot, maybe I would actually have, have, have taken a shot. I, by, by the way, I didn't take a shot on him personally. Uh, and, or, and obviously the, the pick is officially Kim. But, but goddamn, what I'm trying to say is Kim is hittable. And this is like the tailor-made matchup. You want the guy that's hittable. It's going to go in there. It's going to exchange. It's going to do exactly what, Com what Gomi wants and what Gomi needs guys to do to fight with them. But it, this is one I kind of go into much more detail with his career and stuff, the breakdown. But, you know... At the end of the day, Gomi's just not the same guy, man. He's not the guy that was kneeing Ralph Gracie in the face. He's not the guy that was knocking out and just pressure punching Jens Pulver into oblivion while Pulver was in his prime. You know, he wasn't the guy even facing BJ Penn in that epic battle that they had at Rumble in the Rock in 2003 or four. But goddamn, you know, and maybe the last Gomi, good Gomi we saw, I think, was the Diego Sanchez fight, which I, I, I think he won still, but. But yeah, I mean, even in his last stoppage fight against, uh, what was his name? I forget, the, the Japanese dude. But he got dropped. He almost got, he got iced by a check hook that had him on, had him on Queer Streak. Street. You know, he's, he's, been, he's been getting rocked for a minute before he got his first official stoppage loss, which was to Miles Jury of all people. Uh, no offense to Miles Jury, but come on. You know, and uh, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's just a real trend, man. The guy's been fighting since 1998 officially. 1998, ladies and gentlemen, almost 20 fucking years. Pioneer the lighter weight classes. Much respect to Gomi, but goddamn, you don't get away with a free lunch. You know, you can't. You don't get a, no biological free rides. There's expiring tickets. All that shit's already happened to Gomi, so I don't think that's that's a too hard of an argument to make. Um, so yeah, Kim should definitely win this here. But goddamn, and I love watching Kim. Uh, that that Polo Reyes. Holy crap, you know. Um, and the beating he took, you know, on The Walking Dead. Holy shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but 
goddamn if he fucking will give his opponent every chance to win the fight. You know, until I see Kim adjust that, it's hard to pick him confidently. I will be excited for his fights, as I'm excited for this one. Uh, I, I like him as a fighter, but but man, man, he's just he's just hard to bet. So I'm just gonna sit back and watch that one, because I'm hoping and just hoping it'll be a good fight, no matter how it ends. Even if I end up being sad with Gomi being knocked out. Um, but yeah, all right. So that's that fight. Next fight, Andrade versus Gadelia. Andrade plus two forty favorite. Gadelia minus two or plus two forty dog. Gadelia minus two eighty favorite. Um, another one. Um. Uh, Gonna give you more of the cliff notes, get more in depth on the breakdown, but uh, I like the over here. It's minus two ten for the as opposed to the minus two sixty five standard that John Condu and most women over seem to be set at or, or or settle at. But yeah, I think it's very playable because even you know, you know, I got a soft spot for Andrade, but even even if you know she's winning and at her best, and Claudia's at her worst and gassed out, she doesn't get gassed out to the third. And they're both tough as shit. They're both tough as shit. We both seen them just went through, you know, through the the the, the meat grinder, the the wood chipper that is Yoni and Jacek, and and they still continue through strong through five rounds. So it's really hard to see either of these girls. I feel really good about that over. I put it uh, I put it in a parlay. Um, minus two ten. It's, it's it's a worthy piece. It's a playable piece. Um, starts the starts round three is not out yet, but if starts round three is uh, you know. Close to that, then that that, that that could be worth too. To if you you know want a little more security, a little more time, if you think someone's going to cook for a finish, because but if anybody cooks for a finish, I think it's Gadelia, possibly getting a submission. Uh, but that's it. But I actually got her playing a, winning a decision, which is uh, since minus two eighty is out, out of range, minus one twelve isn't for a decision for a fight that I think is going to go to decision for a fight. One of the more confident people, um, you know, I, I feel could win. At least on this card, which I know doesn't say a lot, but uh, Gadelia, man, um, and you know, I, I was one who tempered her hype uh, as far as like earlier on, but since she moves to Latrell Yee MMA in New Mexico, we've seen improvements. Um, the jury could still be out on the cardio, but uh, we've seen evidence, some evidence so far, in some sample sizes since then that she, you know, there's benefits to that. Now it's almost been a year later. I, I can only imagine those benefits have grown because, you know, again, you train a certain amount of time altitude, it's going to help. Um, you know, not just wrestling and striking. She's had these things, but she's using it better, punching in and out of the clinch better, countering better. You know, she has that check hook follow-up cross that I think is going to be money against uh, Andrade's style because, you know, Andrade is more like, you know, the poor man's Henry Armstrong. He's the low hands coming forward. And she's got the economic angles as far as when she wins with offense, but doesn't doesn't mix in her economy. Doesn't mix defense into her economy of movement. So in other words, when she's throwing the left hook, she's not slipping to the right to get out of the way. The center line punch is coming back at her. You know, coming back the other way, slipping her head off the other way as she throws over the top of the guard with the right. You know, kind of two birds with one stone. Same thing I say with grappling is the same with striking. You know. Um, they're doing multiple things at once. They're not just stepping to get out of the way. They're stepping to get out of the way, but set up the angle for what's next. And what's next is a step ahead for what the other post person has. So it's these, it's this multitasking type mentality that separates the good guys from the not so good guys. Um, and, 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 and I'm not sure where I was going with that, but, 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 but yeah, Goodell is just doing a much better job all around, you know, and even when she's in precarious positions, I mean, which you don't really see very often, you know, you don't, you, you seldom see her on her back. She's given up one takedown her whole time in the UFC 
and that was in a kind of a, a scramble where she started losing gas and was kind of she put she got caught putting down the pack as I like to say against Yoni and Jacek of all people so no, no shame there um, but even when you see her as soon as she, her back touches the mat she's grabbing a single leg you know using a single leg get up which I'm a big fan of or you know going the deep half and then coming up to the single leg all a Damian Maya style which obviously I'm also a big fan of and then she re-wrestles her way back into the fight you know re-wrestling back into the fight not just saying it to make my words look pretty it's something that just I wish stuck in with more people like you know oh retain guard oh go to your back no re-wrestle your ass back into the fucking fight get on top and don't take it on bottom. You think you're fucking tired now, you'll be much more tired if you succeed bottom in a scramble. Scrambles win fights. So when I see fighters that elect to re-wrestle their way, much less do it technically, boy, it makes me feel good about their, their, uh, makes me feel good about their, um, their abilities, especially against someone like uh, Andrade, who, you know, it's paid off for her in the past, but she's a little too hungry, a little too hungry to jump back for that guillotine, you know, when she doesn't have to and give away position. And I don't, I think most of the time, unless she's you know is able to hurt Claudia, I think she drops down for a guillotine on, on a grappler like Claudia. It's just going to be a waste of energy. You're just giving him a position at that point. And I like Andrade. I like her team. Really, you know, got uh, got to interview her, watch her work um, for a little bit when she was down here, which was a privilege. But you know, the analysis sees Gadelia all day here. So uh, yeah. All right, main event time, Yushinokami, Ovens, St. Pru, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Uh, Ovens, St. Pru, minus 490 favorite, plus 390 for Yushin, Thunder, Okami. Yeah, man, again, go more to the breakdown about these two guys' games, but essentially, I got St. Pru here, not just because the short notice intangibles and the size difference, um... Left hands have typically been Okami's culprit, and he typically hasn't done well against Southpaws. One and three against UFC Southpaws, and you know whether it's a Southpaw grappler shooting on him or a Southpaw grappler striking with him. Uh, you know, I, I say grapplers because yeah, obviously guys like Anderson Silva, those Southpaws, yeah, although they were going to outstrike Okami, I, I get that. But even guys that weren't, you know, um, you know. Uh, that savvy were able to, you know, Rich Franklin was able to take him down. Um, Chael Sonnen was able to outstrike him. These kind of examples. Like, he, I, I just don't think Okami does well with Southpaws. And OSP is kind of an awkward, no, not kind of an awkward, it's an understatement. He's an awkward Southpaw. Switches his stance as well. And I could see one of his, uh, his check hooks, his little shifting hooks really catching him well here. And if he gets on top, I think it's going to be really bad because... As good as Okami is on top, his game does not shine as brightly when he's on bottom. There's a big gap there against like a guy like OSP who has size and can wrestle when he wants to. He really can. You know, he makes really questionable decisions in all aspects of his game. OSP does, but when he can, when he's at his best, in my opinion, he's on top. And I actually think I see him eventually getting on top, whether it's off of a failed shot from Okami or hurting Okami uh, with a punch and counter on the way in, or you know, his left crosses, left counter crosses, or check hooks. Regardless, I see him getting on top of Okami, and I see him closing the show from there. Um, yeah, he's got really underrated ground and pound. His transition game, it's aggressive, but it's getting better. OSP's is, you know, it's much more tighter. The way he's working pressure, the way he's playing the positions. Now, of course, Okami's a real smart position player. He has enough toughness and veteran savvy, and, you know, the, the plus side of the short notice... 
you know, the veterans, the veteran part, you know, helps compensate for part of that. And but what helps compensate for the size difference, I should say, is that he's going to have good cardio and he's already a big guy. So, in other words, I could see him potentially giving away, you know, taking stretches of this fight in the clinch, because both these guys, Saint Pru, who I'm talking about more specifically, in the event of a commie doing good, but both these guys in victory and defeat are subject to activity lulls in general, but especially in the clinch. They will give away decent stretches of rounds in victory or defeat throughout their career in the clinch. So really weird. For that reason, the overs, or even the fight does not go the distance, which usually is, you still playable for a five-round fight that it won't go the distance. Minus 330, you have a short-notice guy in there, a guy who can finish an OSP on the ground or standing. Boy, I'm surprised that's not parlay fodder for old Dan Tom, but it's, it's not, man. It's something about... So I'm not again. I'm not disrespecting Okami by. I hope I don't come off disrespecting with my pick or just kind of uh, dismissively talking about it here, as I feel that I'm. I'm, I'm kind of doing because because I, I I'm not man. I, I think Okami has the ability to just if anything make it a, a long drawn out fight. For that reason, it kind of eschews maybe props or angles that I would like to play this fight at. Um, you know, aside from my standard parlaying the main card, I really stayed away from this fight. Um, I may have sprinkled OSP inside the distance, but maybe not because the number was probably already overblown. That just seems like the obvious one. Yeah, it's minus 270. I mean, that's you can't even really straight play that, you know. And again, so now you're you're put in a position where you're having to parlay a specific angle. And this, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it went to decision. And if it went to decision, or if you think in your head, even if you're picking OSP like me, but if you do admit that it's a possibility you could go to decision, well, then there's a possibility Okami could win this fight. So you see, it gets real skewy and real screwy real fast, at least in my own head, which is screwy and sleep-deprived, so I apologize if I sound that way. That's probably why. I don't think your boy slept over, like, six hours or maybe once <laughs> in the last two weeks, so I'll make up on that eventually. I'll make up on that eventually, so bear with me now. Uh, we made it to the end of this. And, yeah, I was going to review the plays there, so... Parlay pieces, uh, Jumo and Formiga I like. Um, uh, prop parlay pieces, uh, the overs for the both female fights. Andrade Gadelia over, minus 210, two and a half, uh, two and a half rounds. And another two over two and a half rounds, minus 265. That's for Gian Kondo. Props, Jumao inside the distance, plus 190. Half a unit, Gadelia decision, minus 110. Chalk, but I played that only at one unit. Formiga inside the distance, half a unit, plus 165. Um... Die decision plus two fifty, just a quarter unit. Uh, hedge it. Die Ishihara over over um, over one and a half minus one sixty five three quarter unit. And I'm keeping an eye out for the Formiga sub prop when that hits because that should be decent money for something that I think is the most likely outcome of that fight. Otherwise, avoid Saki Silva, Kim Gomi, Honest Abe Lim, Kondo Jian. Uh, my straight plays. Nakamura plus 115, half a unit. Uh, underdog Die plus 135, half a unit. And Rosa, the only favorite straight play, uh, minus 190, 1.5 units for UFC Japan. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll do a recap, but we'll definitely have a top five. I'm not going to be taking weeks off and making that a regular thing. That's for damn sure. Thank you guys for staying with me. Thank, sorry about the technical difficulties. I don't know what what's going on. I, I did my sound check when I listened to this, so as long as I don't fuck it up in editing, um, this should be coming through both ears and hopefully be sounding normal. Thank you all. F oh, by the way, th and before I get out of here, thank you all. Uh, the stuff I missed from last week and the last couple weeks, there's not a lot, so don't worry. 
but thank you guys for those of you using the click-throughs to support the show. Um, I know with things moving to Junkie that there's not as much of a reason to go to MixedMartialAnalyst.com, but when I'm not fucking up and remembering, no, honestly, I uh, will be uploading every podcast, keeping those archived, the breakdowns will stay archived, any curricular things that I may have, may or may not have coming your way, or collaborative things that I may or may not have coming your way as far as, you know, uh, videos or, or sharing stuff uh, via through community. Um, there's more things to come there. So, but again, I understand if you're not, you're, you're, there's not as much reason to go to mixedmartialanalyst.com, but it's still the home for this podcast, baby. It's still my home. Um, it's the support of this podcast. So if you like this podcast and want to continue to support it or support it without having to spend money, uh, obviously the best way, sharing it, whether it's on social media, friends, etc. Or, you know, if you're an Amazon shopper, you could, uh, you could do uh we doesn't give names but we have we have a we have a list of things you could buy your mugig or mugig mugig metronome m u g i g uh it's a little counter metronome i'm guessing there's a drummer so we got some drummers listening to the Protect Your Neck podcast thank you thank you thank you someone else got an e tech e t e k city digital kitchen Scale. Ah, kitchen scale. Sure. Have fun selling mushrooms, you degenerate. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But seriously, uh, don't skimp on those eighths, son. No, (laughs) just kidding. Uh, Whatever you're using this scale for, thank thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for thinking of this podcast. And again, it doesn't say who bought it, but I'm guessing the three movies were bought together. And I'm guessing some of them were gifts. Maybe not the Kingsman, which I still haven't seen. I gotta see that. It's like they're. I think they're having like a second one come out, and I still haven't seen the first one. Um, I always like that when they take a guy and they kind of, you know, like the Liam Neeson. Now we kind of associate him with Taken, but before that he was just kind of, you know, old fucking Qui Gon Jinn. Hunnigan, Hunnigan, no, and you know, and then all of a sudden he's the Taken guy, and then they say Colin Firth, who was like to me was the Love Actually dude, and I'm like, oh, he's a fucking action hero. So I gotta see that. Thank you for buying the Kingsman. The reason why I thought maybe it was like um, somebody might be buying stuff for like a dad or something because someone bought the Sopranos box set, which thank you because that that shit wasn't cheap. Um, I haven't seen Sopranos by the way. I know that's supposed to be the flagship, but the HBO ones, and I still haven't seen it. Which, but by the way, to me, the flagship is The Wire, baby. The Wire, Omar, Omar, best fucking character in TV history, right there. But McNulty. It's great. Fucking Bubbles. Everybody wants to be Bubbles. Fucking The Wire. Shout out. Shout, shout out to me if, you, if you're if y'all are Wire fans, by the way. Major props in my book. And again, I don't know if this is the same person, but the other movie was bought was Magnificent Seven, the original. That's right. Fucking James Coburn, the knife thrower, like a motherfucker. Yul Brenner, the cancer cigar dude who played the the Thai king because Asians weren't invented till the 80s, apparently. So they were all played by white guys. But... <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent Seven, baby. Which, of course, speaking of Asians, like many great westerns and great movies, from Star Wars to fucking westerns, we're 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 taken by a lot of Asian filmmakers. Uh, Kira Kurosawa, obviously, is what I'm talking about. Seven Samurai, great movie. Criterion Collection costs a little extra, but your old boy Dan Tom has it. I suggest you buy it too. You kind of get to see where like George Lucas uses his, his edits, his wipe transitions, and stuff like that. You're like, oh, Kurosawa. Another Kurosawa one that's great was Yojimbo, real classic one. Um, you saw that um, re- redone through a lot of westerns, kind of take off Yojimbo, but specifically um, 
Y'all remember that 90s one, uh, Bruce Willis, Last Man Standing? I think Christopher Walken was a bad guy in that one. That was that's essentially was Yojimbo. Uh, and they, they credit Yojimbo Bo as well, but uh, definitely, definitely uh, go revisit some Kurosawa if you want to be a film snob. But uh, no, seriously, worth it, worth the time. But I'm also kind of a film snob, so whatever. Um, uh, on it, um, aside from the shit that I bought, somebody bought some Alpha Brain that I didn't buy. So thank you for that. Hopefully it works for you. Like it's, well, it's not really working that great for me right now because your boy's just that tired. But I love it. No, honestly, I've been a big, big fan of Onyx products like forever. I actually like, talked to their affiliate program people and was joking. I'm like, hey man, like my my top percent as far as like you look at my, my my customer track records for like length of time because I've been with them for a long time since they started. So they're like, yeah, yeah, you've been around for a minute, man. But uh, I really do. So I really do support their stuff. And somebody got. I know this isn't me. I buy the Hemp Force Protein. I'm a huge fan of it. But I get the chocolate. Somebody got the vanilla. So whoever that was, let me know how the vanilla is. I've never gotten it. And I'm, I actually don't mind vanilla proteins, but it just. I put a bunch. I chop a bunch of vegetables and, and fruits and, sh- and shit, so that the chocolate kind of goes easier. Um, but as far as like just by itself and stuff, like I, I get down on some vanilla. I just I'm kind of scared to buy the whole damn tub. So whoever whoever that was, uh, reach out to me on Twitter. By the way, at Dan Tom MMA new handle, um, or you know reach out to the podcast at the PYN podcast. Of course, at the PYN podcast on Instagram and Facebook as well, keeping it all the same. If you ever want to email the show, you want a special topic, a special question, I will read the question out or not. If you don't want, read your name attached to the question or not, if you don't. And it can be about mixed martial arts or not. But either way, uh, protectyourneckpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to test it out. You think I'm bullshitting with you? Fucking do it. Fucking do it. Like Dan's bullshitting me. I'm not going to... I'm going to email that, and it's not going to watch. It's not going to be there. It's going to be a fucking lie. No, no, do it, do it. This is episode 50. Email me something, and uh, I'll see see if I can get back to you, huh? By the next one, 51. Sorry, if you hear uh, clicking on paper, it's because I just want to make sure I'm giving out the right podcast as I challenge you all. (laughs) The right fucking email. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it's the right email. How about this? Don't test my word. Let's just test that email. Protectyourneckpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'll address it on the next show. Uh, iTunes reviews. Haven't got uh, any new ones in a minute. But thank you all, those who give give the, the, the ratings, whether you're just doing the ratings or taking the time to write the review. Either way, thank you. Appreciate those. If you appreciate the show. Again, these are just ways to support without um, spending any money or spending any extra money than you would already do already. And I already support. Uh, I already appreciate your support, regardless. Honestly, that's the truth. I, I kind of hate doing those things, so I kind of keep them at the end. That way, if you just want to listen to the show, you already got all the good shit. You can already tune out, you fucking my crazy ass. But but seriously though, fucking thank you guys for everything. Um, we'll be back next week with the top five. Possibly do a recap show separate, or we'll recap it on the top five. Hit me up. I still got your idea of the story. I'm not bullshitting you. I write those down. So we got plenty to go off of. I'm not in need of them. But that doesn't mean you can't hit me up with some if you want a top five covered. Um, but yeah. So uh, till then, good luck with your picks and plays if you made any for UFC Japan. And you know, until next time, as always, protect your neck.